Will you turn with me in your Bibles to Romans uh, chapter 14? Romans chapter 14 in the New Testament. I'm going to read the first eight verses together. And this is God's word. This is what God says. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And we'll end our reading at verse number 8. I don't know if you've ever heard of someone called Anne Judson. She's very important, I tell you that, in the history of missionary work. She was, yes, the wife of someone called Adoniram Judson, the first Western missionary to Burma or Myanmar, as it's called today. But they were such a team uh, that she, and, and she really does stand as a key character in her own right. One of her husband's biographers, uh, having met her in person, said this about her. I do not remember ever to have met a more remarkable woman. And a remarkable woman she was. Anne Heseltine uh, as she was born, uh, was born just before Christmas in 1789 in uh, Bradford, Massachusetts, uh, just north of Boston on the East Coast, uh, New England, uh, in, the, in the United States. Her parents were John and Rebecca, and Anne was the youngest of five children, uh, th- four girls and a boy. She had a very happy childhood. Uh, one of her friends once said, where Anne is, no one could be gloomy or unhappy. She was uh, baptized as an infant and attended the local congregational church with her family. And as uh, she became a teenager, Anne maintained a pattern uh, of of prayer and dutiful attendance at church. But but her main concern, to be be truthful, lay with with her friends, with socializing. Someone described her as the town belle, indulged by her parents. She was popular and a bit spoiled, in other words. But change was in the air. In 1805, a new teacher arrived at her school, at Bradford Academy. He was intensely serious. He believed in heaven and hell. He told the students that unless they were each converted to Christ, they would be eternally lost. Anne began to read Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, who we looked at in another of these talks. She tried to be good enough 
for a while, prompted by what she'd heard. But this ended in failure. It always does end in failure. Anne began to question the the assumptions on which she'd been living her life up to that point. The pillars in place, well, they were not so solid anymore as she did this. By the spring of 1806, at the age of 16, Anne and 80 other young people from Bradford Academy had professed faith in Christ, belief in the gospel, and were added to the local church. This was not a a one-off but part of what's, what's become known as the Second Great Awakening uh, in America, where there were huge numbers of people uh, coming to faith and joining the church. Anne wrote in her diary of the change in her life. She said this, My chief happiness now consisted in contemplating the moral perfections of the glorious God. I long to have all intelligent creatures love him. Sin in myself and others appeared as that abominable thing which a holy God hate. I earnestly strove to avoid sinning, not wanting to grieve his Holy Spirit. The change was soon to become obvious for all to see. On the 28th of June, 1810, four years later, someone called Adoniram Judson came for lunch at her parents' home, where, of course, she was still living. He was a student of the Congregational Church, where, uh, and he was being prepared for foreign missions in India. He was there with three of his fellow students. These four men would be the first to overseas American missionaries, the first ever overseas American missionaries. Judson was almost immediately captivated by Anne's joy for life, her, her charm and her beauty, Uh, A month later, he he wrote her a letter uh, to ask if she would consider courting him. Uh, Her reply is enough to make any man groan inside. He must first talk to her father. Yes. In July 1810, Adoniram sends John Heseltine one of the most remarkable letters I have ever read in my life. And this is it. I have now to ask, he said, whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death, Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you? For the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God, can you consent to all this on the hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory, with a crown of righteousness brightening by the acclamations of praise which shall redound to her saviour from heathens saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. What a letter. And what do you say to that? Well, John, good old John, he passed the buck. He decided to let Anne decide for herself. But Anne was not able to answer right away. She was not sure uh, this was what God wanted her to do with her life. 
She wrote this on the 10th of September, 1810. For several weeks past, my mind has been greatly agitated. An opportunity that had uh, been presented to me of spending my days among the heathen and attempting to persuade them to receive the gospel, were I convinced of its being a call from God and that it would be more pleasing to him for me to spend my life in this way than any other, I think I should be willing to relinquish every earthly object and in full view of danger and hardships give myself up to this great work. You sense the the willingness there, don't you, of, of if she thought it was what God wanted her to do, that would be good enough. That's remarkable, isn't it? After two months of wrestling with her feelings, her love for her family, her dread of suffering in a foreign land, she decided to accept. And many of her friends cynically said that she was merely undertaking a wild, romantic undertaking. But time would tell. Time would tell. Anne wrote to a friend like this, I have come to the determination to give up Uh, All my comforts and enjoyment here, sacrifice my affection to relatives and friends and and go where God and his providence shall see fit to place me. My determinations were not hasty or formed without viewing the dangers, trials and hardships attendant on missionary life. On the 5th of February 1812, a year and a half later, Anne and Adoniram, they tie the knot. They're married in her parents' home where they first met. The very next day, Adoniram is ordained in Tabernacle Congregational Church in Salem, not far down the road from where they lived, as a Congregationalist missionary to the Indian subcontinent, along with his three friends, Samuel Knott, Gordon Hall, and Samuel Newell. Within two weeks, all four couples, they all had wives, had set sail on the long journey for India. The sea was rough at times. It was a long journey. It was calm at others. But there was a moderately big theological storm brewing for the Judsons. You see, um, the Judsons, they they knew that when they got to India, uh, they they were going to be met by William Carey uh, from England, who who was a Baptist missionary, uh, already settled there in India. Uh, They were going to be met by him and his fellow Baptist missionaries. And of course, um, well, I don't know if you realize this or not, but, but Baptists only baptize professing believers. Uh, they don't baptize babies uh, or young children of professing believers. And um, the Judsons had enough sense to know that they would be asked to defend such a position, their congregationalist position, uh, on baptizing babies that to these uh, Baptist missionaries. It's similar to what Presbyterians or Church of Ireland people would practice today. And while this is a matter of secondary importance, uh, and I, have many, uh, I do have many Presbyterian and Church of Ireland friends who, who believe that you should baptize children of believers, and I'm quite happy to associate with them, quite happy to disagree amicably, but it's a matter of primary importance that you go with your personal conviction. That's what I want to say to you. Romans 14, which we just read, is a good passage on this. When it comes to secondary matters, verse 5, each one should be fully convinced in his own or her own mind. 
Now, some things are primary. You know, we're not going to be accepting any other position on the Trinity. We're not going to be accepting any other position on the deity of Christ. We're not going to be accepting any other position on the substitutionary atonement on Calvary. We're not going to be accepting any other position on the historicity of the, of the resurrection of Jesus, right? But, but there are other secondary issues. And Christian maturity is not, uh, is not made by just listening to what someone says and saying, that's, that's me, that's me. You have, you have the Bible and you can read uh, it's, it's forming your own convictions uh, where there's differences of opinion by praying, by uh, leading you to investigate the scriptures, even reading the arguments on either side, weighing it up and asking God to give you guidance and, and, then, and then coming to a decision uh, with a God, with God-given conviction. That, that, that's, that's, that's the sort of Christian conscience that we want, want everyone to, to have. That's, 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 that's much better. And in the course of this investigation to have good answers for the British Baptists who are waiting on them in India, well, Anne and Adoniram came to a change of conviction on this matter. On the caravan, which wasn't something you told by a car, but the name of the ship, um, the caravan, uh, they, they, they had the, the Bible and they had the, a Greek New Testament. Uh, the Bible, of course, uh, they, the New Testament, of course, was written originally in Greek. And they... There was this particular word which um, Anne and Adoniram used to wrestle with. It's baptizo. And they couldn't work out how it could mean anything other than to dip. And Baptists were the only one who dipped people. That's the way they were thinking, okay? Uh, Adoniram would, would, would actually state the problem. And Anne would do everything she could to argue the other side. This is the way they would do it on the ship. they say, oh, yeah, but, but what about this? And what about this? And... And so it would go, and, and when they arrived in Calcutta, which is like um, on the east of India, uh, they, they, had, uh, they hadn't just got the Bible, they, they had other works to refer to as well, what people had written on the, to, on the topic. They were able to, to weigh these up and prayerfully consider this for some months. And then they decided that the closest position to Scripture was what the Baptists believed. They didn't want to do this, by the way. They were Congregationalists. They, 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 they were sent out as Congregationalist missionaries. They, all their missionary colleagues were Congregationalists. The consequences were dire. The money would soon stop. The uh, disgrace back home would be compelling. A Baptist and Congregationalists were, were competitively separated, to say the least, in America. But they were people of strong conviction. Anne was a woman of strong conviction, like, like a Theresa May. You know, I'm, not go- I'm going to see this through. I'm going to see this through. As soon as they'd reached their conclusions, they were baptized as believers, and they resigned their membership of the congregational missionary body. They wrote an emotional letter back to their board to say that this was the most distressing event ever to have befallen them. Since it would prevent them from working alongside their fellow missionaries in the field. They sent someone back to America to make contact with the American Baptists to, to try and organize support of some degree in that way. When they arrived in India, they did meet up with William Carey and other Baptists in Serampur. Uh, and uh, I'm sure they were very happy to hear of their, of their conviction. But there was uh, frequent trouble in India. Uh, the British East India Company ran the show over there, uh, ran the country, if you like. Uh, they were the ones who called the shots. 
and they didn't like missionaries. And they didn't want them around. Uh, ten days after the arrival of the Judsons in India, they were led to, to, to move away and to, to Rangoon um, in Burma, which is called Yangon today. On the 13th of July, 1813, they arrived there. Burma in those days was no idyllic paradise either. Uh, it was governed by a despotic emperor who ruled the nation with fear. Corruption was common in the government. There's not much different today, by the way, uh, if you know anything about Burma. The people were almost entirely Buddhist. Anne says this about them. The religion in Burma then is, in effect, atheism. And the highest reward of piety, the object of earnest desire and unwearied pursuit, is annihilation. How wretched a system is this. In Burma, they were met by Felix Carey, who's William's son. Um, and after, uh, he, during his time as a missionary, he, he translated some uh, parts of Matthew's gospel, which, which we read tonight. But disappointingly, he was enticed by a diplomatic rule uh, for the government. He became an ambassador. But before he did that, he said this. Both Anne and Adoniram are just cut out for the Burma mission. Now think about it. She was the belle of the town. She was the social light of the town. She was indulged by her parents. She was spoiled. Not a prime candidate for leaving friends. Not a prime candidate for leaving mommy and daddy at all. Or material comforts. But look what God has done. When they get to Burma, uh, they set to work on learning the language, of course, which is the first task. But it was not easy. There were, there were no capital letters. There were no word divisions in the sentences. There were uh, no sentence breaks. Anne's diary on the 15th of August, 1813, says this. I have begun to study the language, finding it very hard and difficult, having none of the usual helps in acquiring language except a small part of the grammar and six chapters of St. Matthew's Gospel by Mr. Felix Carey. By December that, uh, 1815, a couple of years later, Anne was telling her sisters back in America that she and, and her husband were feeling quite at home and that they could converse at, at ease on common subjects. But preaching was not a common subject. Her husband was uncomfortable preaching until he had a better grasp of the language. In fact, until he translated some of the Bible into Burmese. In 1817, Anne and her husband were able to print using a printing press lent to them by William Carey, a summary of Christian doctrine, teaching, uh, by Adoniram, and a catechism which Anne had written herself. In May of that year, Adoniram finished translating the Gospel of Matthew into Burmese, and they printed 800 copies of it and 800 catechisms. Adoniram began to preach then in 1818 in, in August. Uh, within a year, on the 27th of June, 1819, the first person to become a believer professed faith in Jesus. That was a big day. His name was Mong Nao. This was a day of rejoicing in, in Rangoon, a day of rejoicing in heaven. When one sinner believes, the Bible tells us there's rejoicing in heaven. It was very significant for the mission in Burma. Having got to grips with the, the Burmese language, Anne felt that the task of learning Thai was then somewhat easy, and so decided to have a go at it as well. They called it Siamese back then, it's Thai. 
And so by 1819, she translated her catechism into Thai and also her husband's Gospel of Matthew. And that was the first piece of scripture that was ever translated into Thai. Ann Judson. In late 1821, at the age of 31, Anne decided to return to America for a time. She had a severe problem with her liver. She went via England. The whole journey took nine months. And nine months later than that, even when she was not sufficiently recovered, she made a return trip because she wanted to be back with her husband in Rangoon. When she arrived in Calcutta uh, in mid-October 1823, she was advised not to return to Rangoon because there was the threat of war between Britain and Burma. But she was a strong-willed woman of conviction. So back to her husband she would go. Uh, She sailed there on the 5th of December, 1823. When she met her husband, they'd been apart for two years and four months all in. When they were back together, they moved to a city called Ava in the middle of the country. Uh, Within a couple of months, the first war between Britain and the Burmese broke out. Uh, There were to be three wars uh, between Britain and and Burma in the the 19th century. The British eventually gained control over most of northeastern India and Burma. And there's a British legacy there today still. As a result of the war, all Westerners became suspect. Uh, they, were, they, were, they, they were suspicious of them. And Adoniram became a prisoner under what, was horrific, what were horrific conditions. And Anne literally saved his life by pleading with officials to let him live by pressing the government time and time again to release him, by literally bringing him his daily bread, for he would have died. When Adoniram was released in 1826, Anne was so exhausted from the stress and the persecution and the burden of managing everything all by herself uh, that she died shortly after, 24th of October that year. She was aged 36. Her Last words were fittingly in Burmese. Anne Judson, what's her legacy? Well, Anne and Adoniram were pioneer church planters in Burma. They were not the first to arrive. That was Felix Carey, but they were the first to stay. It was within a year of, uh, from, from the beginning of Adoniram's preaching that the first man professed faith. But it was a full six years from when they first arrived. A long six years. One convert. Think about that. Adoniram set out with his wife with the desire to see a hundred people coming to faith. And in the 40 years that he ends up spending there, he he carries on, he he marries again after Anne dies. In the 40 years, he was to see 100 churches planted in the country. And over 8,000 converts were trusted in Jesus Christ. And Myanmar is a very Baptist country today. His Bible is still the main translation used. And I forgot to bring this. I'll bring it down in a moment. But I have a a Burmese Bible. It's it's Judson's translation. And they gave it to me uh, last December on my last visit uh, to Myanmar. You can have a look at the script. And there's not many sentences uh, Not many uh, gaps in words or sentences. It's very interesting. This is Judson's Bible. I was there last December. Um, I was 
I help out with Billy Campbell, who many of you have met. Uh, um, some of you have met at a brunch here in September. He partners with local men who, who run two small Bible schools in Yangon. Um, and I've also been to the Judson Church, which um, I was there in 2013. That was the 200th anniversary of him arriving with his wife. But you know what? Judson died thinking that he had failed. He thought that he hadn't done enough. But that was not the case because his legacy still exists today. Humble people are like that, isn't that right? But um, it was Anne's caring for her husband that enabled this. Because if it hadn't been for her preserving his life, he, he, he would have died in the cell in the murky, grimy conditions. But more than that, think about Anne and think about how God changed her as we look at the lessons. Notice uh, that she was an unlikely candidate for giving herself to God's work, but, but she did. Notice her quest for truth. Along with her husband, she didn't just settle on what she'd been taught or what she'd been brought up with or what she'd thought before. She got into the Bible and she decided to, 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 to earnestly seek out the truth. It's a good thing to do. To pray and to read and to ask God and seek the truth. Notice her strong convictions. We've talked about this a few times tonight. It's so obvious. She's a, a woman of strong conviction. There's much to learn from her. She wouldn't just go with a path of least resistance. If this was God's word, um, uh, and it, it, whatever way it comes down on the issue of baptism, then no matter what the personal cost is, she's going to go with it. And she's going to stick to it. It's important to know what you believe. Don't just follow me or the elders. Look into the Bible yourself. Be like the Bereans in Acts where they, they, they searched the scriptures to see if these things were so. Pray for God to guide you. Read authors on the sides of the issue and, and, and come to a God-given conviction, whatever that issue may be. The best Christian is a mature one, one who doesn't just say, I'm with him, I'm with her, but I'm convinced in my own mind, like Romans 14 says. We're much better equipped to live in this world as with Christian conscience than we are hanging off somebody else's comments. Notice, um, finally, Anne Judson's rule. She was a support for her husband's gospel work, yes, but she, but she was very much a woman of God in her own right. She produced catechisms. She wrote them. She translated Bible herself. She was a writer to motivate for missions back in, in, in the U.S. and also in the U.K., she was, she was a strong advocate for, for female education. She stood up for, to, to the government and oppressors. We need strong women like her. We really do. Anne Judson, a remarkable woman. And who did it? It was God. And she allowed him. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you for the life and testimony and witness and service of Anne Judson and people like her. We praise you for how you can totally change a life. 
and how you can make us strong and with conviction despite the cost. Father, help us all to search out the truth and not to stop until we find it. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.